Hey everybody, welcome to Random Musings from the Clinical Trials Guru. I really want to thank you for listening. If you feel compelled to do so, make sure you subscribe, uh, leave a review, comment, share, whatever you feel like doing. Help me out trying to grow this podcast, trying to continuously deliver value. A couple of things before we get into the show, check out the links in the show notes to my CRA Academy my CRC Academy, both of them doing very well as far as getting people jobs in the marketplace. Check those out. Also, if you need help getting studies for your site or anything else, or even launching a site, basically any help for your site, we have a low monthly fee consulting service where we have helped many clients become and continue to be successful site owners through our background efforts of business development and support staff text me 949-415-6256 please check out the links in the show notes as well for the book the comprehensive guide to clinical research it's been selling really well getting very well received by the community thank you guys so much for that also check out the youtube member page join this channel to get perks that's my youtube uh, membership it's 10 bucks a month you get a monthly mastermind exclusively it's a zoom call every month with other youtube members uh, you also get weekly videos exclusive to the youtube members on how to use social media to improve your opportunities in life sciences so check that out really means a lot to me and thank you so much again for listening and enjoy the show Hey, Guru Nation, welcome back to another episode. Not only is this a video, guys, it's it's a podcast, audio podcast for your listening pleasure. We have Heather Nisley. Heather, first of all, thank you for working on a holiday, President's Day. Are you oh, you're, you're in the site right now, right? I am. Uh, I'm on, on site working today. <laughs> My my PI told me the office is closed and so not to come today. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd be at the site too. We do things a little different in the South. Even our, our kids are in school today. <laughs> really? That's yeah. amazing. Or at least mine are. <laughs> I mean, in fairness to me, I didn't even realize it was a holiday until last night. So that's, I wouldn't have known either. Um, but thank you, Heather, for coming on. Heather is somebody who... Uh, I guess I'll let her introduce herself, but she basically reached out on one of one of my videos where I kind of introduced CNAs, mainly because of my nurse practitioner business partner who started out as a CNA before he became an NP. And he was telling me, hey, you're always talking about MAs, medical assistants, but you know, there's CNAs also. And I, I was like, oh, I thought they were like the same thing. And then Heather reached out, commented. She said, you know what? I was a CNA. I went the route of CRC and now I'm working as a CRC and we're going to get into who she works for and how she got there. She's a junior research coordinator for Allerv Health. So well, shout out to them. I just got a promotion on oh. that one. So I, oh, they took the junior okay. off. <laughs> no more junior. <laughs> no more junior. Just no clinical more junior. research coordinator. Just clinical. Re- that's the perfect. Perfect. Yeah. They take junior out. That's a great place to start actually but we'll get to introducing you but guys and gals when you get started at a site right especially in a 2022 environment where things are so busy there's more way more work than the average site can handle 
you lose your junior status, whether it's official or unofficial, you lose your junior status ASAP, meaning a few months, if that. Absolutely. See, Heather knows. So, Heather, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. We'll work our way into Allergy, but can we talk more about you right now and what your background was and how you even discovered clinical research? Um, well, I've been doing CNA work basically since on and off since 2007. Um, I worked at assisted livings, worked and then transitioned into the nursing home. Um, for a good eight years, I've been in the nursing home as a CNA slash ancillary coordinator. Um, and one day was looking through ZipRecruiter and had a message from uh, CRCA, which is Clinical Research Center of Alabama, asking me to apply for a coordinator position. So, ah, so I, they found you. They found me. Um, took a chance. It was like, I don't know if I'm qualified to do this, but they're asking <laughs> me. So let's find out. Do you remember what your initial gut reaction was? Because I'm just curious, because most people don't really know much about clinical research. So when you saw the company, what did you initially think? The first thing I did was Google it. <laughs> I was like, okay, what, what is this company about? And when I started researching and I was like, this is, this is perfect. This is a good next step for me in my, in my medical background. And so I, like I said, applied, uh, they asked for, for a phone interview and then a face-to-face. -face. And two weeks later, I was getting an offer to become the newest junior research coordinator. Wow. CRCA, yeah. What so what what were what was the interview like? Because a lot of CNAs and matter of fact, you know, I have two phone numbers of people we're looking to hire from my site with Hymen. One of them's a CNA. So and we're just like your employer, we're reaching out to them. Like we found them. They didn't find us. So what were some of the questions that they asked initially? Well, a lot of it was, you know, do you have, have you ever done any research? And my answer was no, you know, um, I hadn't done any research. It's an allergy and asthma specialty group. Told them that, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with allergies and I'm familiar with asthma, but you know, it's not something that I suffer with on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm really great at patient care. I always advocate for my patients. So, I mean, that part of it was no problem whatsoever. Um, already trained in vitals, already trained in, in med dispensing, you know, so it was just a matter of, do you think you could do this? Yeah, I think I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> Did they give you any like onboarding? So basically within the first, what, couple minutes you realized, okay, these guys really want me here. So it kind of put you at ease for the interview. Absolutely. Um, the phone interview set the tone for everything for me. You know, um, when I interviewed with my boss, she was very friendly, very outgoing. Um, so it was like sitting down with an old friend by the time I got to the face-to-face -face interview. And she tells me all the time, she says, I, I just kept writing no research experience, but she's really nice. And <laughs> <laughs> so, But everybody in the South is really nice, though. Oh, yeah, most of us are, but you know, I wasn't <laughs> raised here. She wasn't raised here. So ah, okay. it's, it's, it gets interesting when you get down to those, those topics. So <laughs> that's all another podcast. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> we there's, there's time for the, uh, for something like that. Um, all right, Heather. So when you first started working there, um, 
was there like what was day one like because i still remember my day one vividly but i'm just curious like what was your day one like my day one was an orientation packet and um they were resettling everybody into new positions new areas and she sent me this orientation packet and it had about 12 different videos you know from everything from tuskegee to helsinki and that's actually how i found you is one of your videos is included in our orientation packet ah, okay led me down the rabbit hole to the six-hour video on the comprehensive clinical research video I see, I see. and then to was the it book. that video that's part it, of the welcome packet no it wasn't that video ah, okay. um, but uh that led me to your book and I drive 52 minutes back and forth to work every day to come work here. And so you were in my ear. You and Chris were in my uh, ear. <laughs> I'm going to tell Chris. That's the <laughs> audio book. My favorite is the audio book. I love the, the way you guys go off topic. I learned so much from you guys in the first two <laughs> weeks of traveling back and forth that I came in and I knew what a, an SIV was. And I knew what an IMV was because just by listening to your book on my way to work. So yeah, thank you. Gave me thank a, you. Definitely gave me a, a good jumping stone, you know, to get to where I need to be, where I am today. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for listening and for letting me know that. Um, yeah, that was fun to record. And, you know, we were like, how can we make this like less dry? If we just read it, what's the benefit of someone getting this? So we just made it like we decided to make it two books or like a book and a podcast in one, which. I think worked out like some people don't like it, but the majority did. So thank you, Heather, for that. I've even got my nurse practitioner listening to it. And she's been doing clinical Ooh. research for five years. So. <laughs> <laughs> we love NPs. We love I think we should interview your nurse practitioner at some point, because in my opinion, nurse practitioners are extremely underrated in research, maybe just like CNAs, actually, because even I underrated, underestimated and underrated CNAs. Um, the way, the way my business partner, Jaime Valles, who is an NP and was a CNA, the way he broke it down was he said, you know what, you shouldn't feel bad that you're ignoring CNAs because they typically work, like you said, in nursing homes, assisted living facilities, hospitals. They're trained for more of that kind of work as opposed to MAs who are kind of trained to work in a doctor's office. And because of my experiences, mainly in doctor's offices and not in those other places, I just didn't even consider CNAs. Yeah. And and we are trained to work on a long-term care basis more than anything else. But you have certain niches like with me working in an assisted living and being med certified. You know, you've got some some different, you know, little tweaks and things on a CNA that, you know, you might not necessarily even get from an MA, you know, that aren't used to dispensing medication on a regular basis and following those guidelines needed to make sure that you're adherence to not only your state regulations, but also those prescriptions and how, you know, detailed wow. they can be. What's, what's the process of becoming a CNA? Can you just kind of walk us through that? Um, for me, it was a six week class. Um, uh, and you do four weeks basically in in the classroom, learning everything you can as far as, you know, and that goes from CPR all the way to just feeding a patient and how to help uh, dementia training is one of the big ones. And then two, two weeks in clinicals. 
And those two weeks you spend in a nursing home doing hand on, you know, hand to hand care with, with different residents. And then you're, then you go to your, your site, wherever you're working. Six weeks. That's, that's very doable. I didn't realize that. So for MA, like, is it the same, similar length of training for them? Um, I honestly don't know a whole lot about MAs. Um, yeah. when I saw your video, I sent it to uh, one of my coworkers. She's an MA. All right. We got to interview yeah. her next. <laughs> I'm just learning from Guru Nation, like crowdsourcing info, because the reason I asked, uh, the other day, somebody asked me a question. They're a foreign doctor, international medical graduate from India, and they just immigrated to the U.S. I can't remember where, but somewhere in the South, I believe. And they were asking me, is it worthwhile for me to pursue like an MA or a CNA degree? And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not going to hurt you, you know, to have some kind of clinical background, even though you are an IMG, but to have like some practical hands-on experience in the U.S., some kind of license, some kind of certification uh, so that you can then be reached out to just like you were, right? Absolutely. And, but I didn't realize it was six weeks only. I thought it was like six months or, or, or something like that. No, not at all. And, um, most of your nursing homes will pay for your, because they're, they're so short on staffing. Wow. Uh, A lot of your nursing homes will pay for your CNA classes. Uh, The place that I I ultimately got my certification from, they, they pay you to go through class and then they, you know, make sure you're certified and send you to, to the home of your choice, basically. Incredible. Uh, Wow. And there's a lot of nursing homes that do that. That right there is just like mind blowing. So now it changes kind of the advice I give to people or even people with, without a medical degree or a medical background that immigrate from other countries or even here in the U.S. Like, hey, you know what? I'm not sure what to do. I graduated with a bachelor's in art, but I really want to get into research. And so I'm going to start telling them, look, CNA, MA, once we interview the MA to figure out how long they take. You know, anybody who has phlebotany training? Yeah. You know, that, that's that's a so much a critical part of, you know, uh, being a cr- clinical research coordinator, you know. I haven't come across one study yet that doesn't have a blood draw associated <laughs> with it. <laughs> I know we have some, and like I have to beg the MAs in the office to draw blood for my patient. They're not even my employees; they're just, <laughs> they're just the doctor's employees. But I bring them coffee, and they'll do it. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> so Heather, what what take us through a typical day now? Like how how long have you been at the site that you're working with right now, um, Allerv? How long have you been there, and what's a typical day like? Now that you're uh, no longer junior, no longer, no longer junior. Um, well, currently I have seven studies going that seven. I'm, I'm the primary on. Yes. Um, most of them are in maintenance. Um, so I still have study visits. Uh, I average about two to three study visits a week between okay. the seven studies. Okay. And, um, I've got one, one study that's, that's a lot of phone visits, but you know, most of the time it's answering emails. And then I also recently took over the ancillary part of, of this job, which is ordering supplies. So I do a little <laughs> bit of everything, Oh yeah. Uh, but patient visits and then uh, making sure the labs are, are sent off in the proper way, following protocol, and then just making sure my ADC's done and my E-regs caught up. And, you know, every day I check, check my IRBs every day and make sure there's no new consents that have come down. 
you know, and just keeping up with whatever I need to do that day. I like that setup for the site that you are, you're the coordinator and you're in charge of like inventory. You're in charge of seeing patients. You're in charge of EDC. You're in charge of regulatory, probably a whole bunch of other stuff too. Uh, I like that because you have some sites where they streamline everything. Like, so they'll have like five people doing your role. And you said you see two to three patients a week. They'll probably be able to see three to five patients a day that way. But the problem is each person. So there's several problems there. Number one is the CRAs. It's much easier for them to have one point of contact than to have five. Another thing also is for the individual themselves, like you're not becoming a generalist if you're in a situation where you're just streamlined, like your task is just data entry, you know, you completely miss out on the patient interaction regulatory. So I think you're in a really good situation. I like companies that do that, that structure their workflow that way. Um, That's one of the ways I'm structuring uh, my site as well is to be able to have, you know, just a generalist coordinator for every study. And yeah, you could, you could back up your colleagues. Like if you're sick, they can, they can take over for you and vice versa. I really like that, that setup that you guys have at Allergy. And we do, we do have our backups. So, so all, every seven of those studies, I've, you know, either started off as the backup or I, you know, took over the study from somebody else that was leaving the company when I came in and, um, I still had to name another backup when I when I took over that position or, or took over as the the primary coordinator. And, you know, we we fill it in. We help out. You know, you never know when somebody's kid's going to get sick or COVID, Man. God forbid. But, you know, yep. we make sure it gets done. How have your interactions with monitors been? Whoo, some days, <laughs> um, you know, there there's been some interesting communications but for the most part i have really great monitors um you know you know as well as i do the turnover for cra's right now you know trying to find the the next better deal you know you could end up with a different monitor from one im visit to the next imv visit you know yeah. to the next and i that I, that's already occurred i've been there since i've been here since november and wow. there's you know one study i've had two different monitors on already yep <laughs> Yep. I think that's kind of sign of the times I have the first two studies I got, they're the same sponsor, same CRO, and they've changed like so many of their staff already, like multiple times. So it's like, as soon as you get to know somebody, they're gone. And that's just the way it is right now. Like there's a lot of turnover in the industry, especially amongst the CRAs and the project managers, less so with the coordinators because coordinators tend to settle into the site that they like and, there's a slightly less turnover there, but yeah, with the CROs, it's, it's been a challenge to just kind of keep up with the musical chairs of who's the next monitor. Right. And, and it, I have, like I said, I, I've had really great experiences with my monitors that I deal with on a daily basis. I've heard some horror stories. Everybody <laughs> has, you know, yep. but have you experienced part, any horror stories though? So um, far. I had, ironically, I had one monitor that, um, the, the coordinator who had it before me uh, was not as organized as she could have been. Yeah. And so she <laughs> already had preconceived notions when she met me. And the irony of the entire situation is I got her to a point where she was extremely happy with everything that was going on. 
even emailed my boss. She's such a great asset, blah, blah, blah. And then two days later, I get an email effective today. I will no longer be. (laughs) I was like, well, you know, that's what happens guys. When you make life easier for your CRAs and you know, she want, she probably returning the favor because she wants you to stay there and she wants the PI to know I've been a CRA also. She wants the PI to know, Hey, this is a good situation now. Just keep it this way. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And it, and she was happy and I was happy. And then she's like, um, I'm going to be done with this study. Okay. Well, we'll wait to see what happens with the next time. <laughs> the next wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You'll probably cross paths again. It's a, for, a, for as big as the industry is, it's small still. And you know, the, the word gets around and you'll, you'll see, you'll start seeing people, uh, familiar faces switching to CROs, but then coming for another SSV. So you've gone through every visit, the site selection, initiation. Yeah, I've done just about everything. Well, um, we've done the pre-site selection for one of the studies that I have. Um, Just waiting on contracts on that one, basically, Mm -hmm. before we start off with that. So I've I've done a little bit of everything in, in three and a half months. And it's been it's been a wild ride. And I've loved every second of it. Becoming a generalist. Oh, Allergy, can you talk a little bit about what they do? Uh, this is the first I've heard of them, but it seems like a pretty cool place. So Allergy is committed to establishing allergy and immunology as a gold standard. Um, they're based out of out of Texas, um, and we are just growing, growing, growing our sites as far as the Allergy health side of it goes. But they're they're dedicated to aller- asthma and allergy. Um, and immunology. And then, um, you know, they want to make that the national name brand for allergy, but we're also, they're also developing a sister company, which is going to be Allergy Clinical Research. And right now we have five sites, actually six. We we're, we're in the process of opening up one in, uh, in Georgia right now. Okay. And um, so we have Two sites in Alabama, a site in Tennessee, one in Utah, uh, one in Georgia, one in uh, one's fixing to open in Florida as well. Wow! So okay. they're planning on on growth ex- exponentially over the next few years. Um, oh, absolutely, gonna... with immune, immunology, especially <laughs> with all the COVID. You guys do COVID studies? No, we oh. we haven't done any COVID studies at our site yet. Yeah. Um, okay. We, we keep trying to talk the boss into it. So we'll see if we can get it. <laughs> you know, a lot of sites don't want COVID. So like my PI told me, like, I'll take, I'll take studies, but don't, don't um, I do not want COVID studies uh, just because, you know, it, it's so tough now to get somebody who is not vaccinated and, or has never had COVID. It, it's like very tough to get patients like that. So they're kind of like, at least the PIs that I work with, they've been telling me, Hey, let's not, let's not do COVID. So I think a lot of sites are in that same situation where they're maybe looking at other aspects of immunology and like you guys doing asthma. And I imagine COPD as well. Yes. And that was my other, that was going to be my next statement. We have so many people that come in with those comorbidities that we Mm. don't need to risk bringing somebody who is, you know, who does have COVID and exposing those patients to it. Yeah, that was another, uh, 
my other PI who told me not to also with COVID, that was his concern because he's a dermatologist. But in this town, we have a lot of people with comorbidities and, you know, they thought better not to. Plus, everybody's so short staffed. We can't risk an outbreak. Absolutely. At one of our clinics and no one's going to be there to do the studies. <laughs> there won't <Yeah>. be any <laughs> anything going on. No coordinators, no PIs. <laughs> so, so uh, I guess as far as allergies concerned uh, or your experiences there, uh, what do you think is next for you? Like, uh, I know you're not a junior CRC anymore. I imagine at some point you're going to be onboarding new staff, right? right? So do you think that that's probably a good fit for you and and for your career trajectory? Yes, absolutely. Um, There's, like I said, with this, this company and the, and the growth of it, there's nowhere but up to go. And I'm, I have very supportive management staff. Um, My site monitor, our site manager, Kendra, is awesome. She wants us to follow whatever dream we have. Kendra Williams, right? Yes. I just connected with her on LinkedIn. um, And then Chris Ingram is our national, our clinical research national director. Um, He's, he's on LinkedIn as well. He is, he's the brains when it comes to making sure that we grow smartly and don't exceed our expectations. So I like this. I, I'm looking at all the staff there. So this was awesome because CNA, I mean, I didn't realize it's six weeks. Like that's to me, my biggest takeaway was, wow, this is like a very practical career option for people that are having a hard time getting in. And like you said, Heather, you can get like, if you go work for a nursing home, you can get them to pay for your training and pay you while you're training. Wow. You know, and, and it's the one thing I will say about it is make sure you have a, a servant's heart mm-hmm. when you when you go this route, because you're going to get attached to these people that you're yeah. taking care of. And just like in clinical research, you get attached to your patients. You of know, I, I've got pediatric studies and, you know, I'm like, oh, you don't uh, want to hurt the kid. So but I didn't you know. know you're doing pediatric. That's a whole nother podcast episode there. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the differences between, and this is one of the things we're trying to teach our MAs that work with us is, you know, you're accustomed to working in a high volume office. Maybe you spend five minutes with each patient just to do their vitals and then prep them for the doctor. Well, in research, I mean, you know this by now, Heather, you're spending hours at a time with patients. If it's a screening, if it's a randomization, if it's a complicated study, it could be eight hours. So you get to know these patients really well right you know just like our HAE studies you know I there's the ones that we do with that you you talk to these people you know sometimes at three o'clock in the morning when they're having an outbreak if that's part of the protocol so you know you just you go with what what your patient needs wow have you gotten have you gotten any 3 a.m calls I have not, but my nurse practitioner has. <laughs> ah, whose number is on the 24-hour emergency contact? Because for the first few studies we had, it's mine. I haven't got any calls yet, though. Well, and I've been um, very forthcoming with my my patients. If you need me, I'm, I'm available all hours. I mean, I'm wow. used to being available all hours. So if there's something that comes up that you think I need to know about, feel free to, to email me, call me, whatever you feel. Wow. And that's just to make sure that, that, you know, nothing 
escapes me basically. It might be a little bit of a control freak aspect, but I don't want to find out two weeks later that we've had an AE. <laughs> no, no, and I'm, I'm sure your sponsors are very happy to hear this from you because that's exactly what they want their sites to do. And right. Unfortunately, many sites don't do that because the coordinator is overworked. And but from what you said, it sounds like you're in a ideal ideal site because two to three visits a week is actually not that much. Um, and then seven studies in maintenance. So you can definitely like your ceiling is like pretty high up there. You can probably fit a visit a day or two visits a day, depending on the complexity of, of the trials. Of Absolutely. Course. Yeah. And like I said, most of these are in maintenance right now. So, I mean, yeah. we're coming to the end of those closeout visits. I've got one that's, that should close out in, in November and another one that should close out in August. Enjoy the quiet time because when the studies get going, I mean, one to three visits a day is the new norm. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I did two in one day a couple of weeks ago, and it was like, we're going to get through this today. <laughs> Some, it depends on the study because I have, I have these two studies that are really difficult, and I do not want two visits a day. But then you have other protocol where it's like, yeah, I can do like four visits today for this study. So just yeah. all protocol dependent. Absolutely. You know, and how, how, how time consuming each visit is going to be and whether you can <laughs> yeah. give that patient the attention they deserve in the uh, process. Last question. This was amazing with CNA because it, it gives me more options now for when people ask me for advice. Um, do you guys use eSource or eReg? Yes, we do. Uh, you uh, do? Creo. Okay. Creo. All right. <laughs> We got Creo. I guess uh, we just started using Creo and um, figuring out how to do it. I actually have a remote regulatory person. She lives in Missouri. Shout out to Samantha Anderson, CRC Academy intern. She lives in Missouri, but she's interning. She's helping me set up the templates. She helps file the reg, the reg doc. So when I get something signed, uh, let's say a financial disclosure form, I just email it to her. And then she'll organize it in the e-regulatory. So she's amazing. And because she is remote, we're going to have her start doing data entry as well so that I can just focus on patient visits and then ultimately finding people like you, Heather, and training them to be the coordinators. Because right now it's just me. And so I'm living the same life you are right now, Heather. I got respect for CRC life. It's not a, <laughs> it's not, easy, <laughs> not an easy task. And uh, the more... The more training you can give to your coworkers, the better it is going to be for you as well. So sounds like you're in a great place. I probably got to gotta talk to you more about Creo. You probably have you figured out any like uh, tricks with Creo? Like, um, well, hidden, I know that hidden things. The, the coolest thing you can do with, with Creo is uh, upload your documents directly into Creo. You don't have to scan them in and then scan them, you know, save them into Creo. You can send them directly to Creo and then go assign them. What? As How do you needed. do that? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? There, you can email them directly into Creo and then go and assign them by patient study or patient that you're using the e-reg for. So, and my nurse practitioner turned me on to that one. She's the better one to talk talk about with Creo. Wow. She, she's See, awesome. I feel like Creo, Creo has so many cool things because another site told me, they have a DOA log that 
I mean, we're doing DOA log old fashioned way on paper and then scanning it into Creo. And each time somebody changes something, we rescan it. Right. So, somebody on YouTube told me you can actually do like use their electronic DOA logs. We haven't we haven't played with that yet. And yeah. I, I don't think we're doing it the same way. Signing the new DOA See, log. And there's all these little tricks. There's all these tricks. Like, and I'm sure if we talk to somebody else about Creo, they're going to tell us something we don't know about. So we got to us Creo sites definitely got to network uh, more with one another just to figure out the tool. Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I sign up for every webinar they have because I figure the only thing it's going to do is make me a better, better coordinator and a better e-reg person when it comes down to it because you know starting today or starting now i should say from now on all of our stuff is going to be e-reg yeah so which saves a few thousand trees every year and uh gets our our binder closet a little slimmer (laughs) so absolutely and especially on the source side i mean that's where you really start seeing like all right i don't need to print this many papers you know, maybe for regulatory, are you guys still using wet ink signatures on everything? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, for us, the most too, part. us too. I'm trying to figure that out next. So definitely, Heather, will be networking. Because <laughs> this is all, this Creo, like e-source, e-reg, it's new to everybody. And matter of fact, the sites using e-reg, e-source are actually progressive because there's sites that are, that have said they're never switching. And the majority of sites are just prefer paper everything. So it's, you know, it's sites like us that kind of push the industry forward and then show everyone else, well, there's easier ways to do this, guys. Right. Just got to figure it out. And the, the further we go into, into this, this pandemic or, you know, the more we can do online, you know, at a social, social distance is going to be better off for everybody involved. Yeah. That's scanning and emailing. That's something new. Like it. So basically the advantage is if you get something emailed to you, you can just forward it to the email address that Creo has. Yep. And then it'll get filed then for you, you somewhere. Then your friend in Missouri can can go assign it to whatever study you need it for. Ah, I see. I see. Yep. Rather than just me emailing it to her. Right. I see. Yeah, that does save time. See stuff like this. Cuts yeah. down time. Cuts down time. One of the things I did. I got, uh, we have this very complicated study. So I have this binder. See, it's good. I may not like it, but it's good. I'm a coordinator again. We have ophthalmology and some derm assessments for our study. So two separate providers. So we have a source and they're, those are the um, unblinded guys. So they don't use Creo. They use paper for their assessments. So rather than going and looking for the source each time a patient comes in, because it's like buried in the in the actual source. I don't need all those pages, just a few. I just made a binder for things that I'm going to make copies of repeatedly. And it's just simple things like that going to save you time as opposed to the day of going to look for those papers, finding which one it is. No, you just grab it from the binder, make copies, boom, just a few seconds as opposed to like maybe 20 minutes. Absolutely. We, we say upload a lot of ours um, directly into a SharePoint like a OneDrive, and we just go to the protocol, find, you know, find that source document folder and, and print off whatever assessment we need for that day or questionnaire. Perfect. Perfect. Guys, CRC life is what it's all about. If you are a CNA, all right, sites want you. 
And you may not be as fortunate as Heather where someone's reaching out to you, but you can reach out to them. You can reach out to a site in your area. And same if you're an MA. And same if you're somebody considering CNA. Heather just said, absolutely one of the ways to go. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Heather. I really appreciate it. uh, Heather from LRV. Everybody go connect on LinkedIn. Her LinkedIn address is right underneath uh, this video. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can find it in the show notes. Heather Nisley, thank you so much. Clinical Research Coordinator, no longer junior. Thank you very much, Heather. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for watching, listening, and we'll catch you all later. Go connect with Heather. Bye-bye.